go. All right, fair enough. Good work. All right, so uh, if you are looking back over the course of this last year, 2014, was there a defining moment or event for you in this last calendar year? And if so, what words would you use to describe that event? For some of you, maybe it was a positive event, the birth or adoption of a new child, a new job, a new home. Maybe you started or finished something well that you were proud of. Maybe it was a positive experience in school or another area of your life. For others, though, maybe the defining moment of 2014 was not a positive one for you. 2014 might have brought the loss of a family member, uh, might have brought some unforeseen financial struggles, maybe relationship challenges, maybe the weight of uh, betrayal in your life, feeling overwhelmed in some way. Maybe that defined the year for you in some significant way. And if it did, I'm guessing that didn't make it onto your Facebook year in review in glowing terms. But my guess is that whether your year was positive or negative on the whole, and whether those events were, when you think or you talk about those things, they have defined you in some way. If it was a defining moment in the story of your life, positive or negative, the event or series of events will shape who you are and how you remember this past year. And this morning, we're going to look at one of those defining events in a person's life in the pages of Scripture. It was a moment of generosity so radical and so shaping and so shocking in some ways that here, thousands of years later, we're actually still talking about it. So I'm going to invite you to pray with me as we look into God's Word together this morning. God, we're grateful uh, for a new year. We're grateful for fresh opportunities. We acknowledge the fact uh, that for some of us, Uh, This last year has brought pain and challenges, and for others, it's been a good year. And so we come into this space with both of those things, holding them in our hearts and in our heads. And so, God, we pray that you would speak to us uh, through your word in this place today. And pray you would challenge us, uh, set our hearts on a right course, both as individuals and as a community for the new year. And, Father, we pray that uh, you would... Uh, deepen our dependence on you and our trust in you as we think about what this new year might hold. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Well, as Pastor Keith mentioned, uh, in this calendar year, we're going to be looking at a new series, and we're going to look at the topic of generosity as we jump into 2015. So our series is called The Genius of Generosity, and over the course of the coming weeks, we're going to work at defining it a little bit and trying to wrestle with the concept that generosity has to do with so much more than money, although that's where our minds often go. We're going to ask questions like, what does it look like to be generous with our lives, the whole of our lives? What does it look like to have generosity define our values and our vision for our family or decisions that we make as we step into 2015? What are some of the barriers that crop up when we think about being generous and we want to be generous, but then we get tripped up 
in different areas of our lives? How can we be generous with our time when we feel busy and overwhelmed? How can we be generous with skills and abilities and make an impact on people around us, not just in this coming year, but beyond? So these are just some of the areas we're going to explore together. And this emphasis on generosity comes out of one of our core values as a community. When we started Jericho Ridge almost 10 years ago now, uh, 2015 will be the 10th anniversary at Easter, we began to ask questions of what do we want to define us as a group of people? What do we want to really be at the core, at the center of who we are? And one of our core values came to light, and we express it in this way, generous living. We say we want to commit to living as faithful stewards, willing to cheerfully share what we have with others. We listen to and depend on God in every circumstance with a humble spirit of gratitude. Generosity touches all aspects of our lives, our friendship, our service, our time, our gifts and abilities, and our material resources. It's interesting to me when we talk about generosity or generous living that usually our minds and our conversation go very, very quickly to money and sometimes stop there. But in our core value... We've taken great care to say that financial generosity, in some ways, is just a part of generosity. In some ways, you could say financial generosity is the training wheels of generosity and generous living, not the pinnacle or the peak expression of generous living. Because think about, in some ways, it can be easier to just write a check to a charitable organization like, say, the Gateway of Hope than it is to sit with people who are homeless and listen to them and talk about their stories and generously give them the dignity of a conversation. That can reflect generosity in a way that sometimes a person who might write a big check isn't necessarily reflecting generosity. True generosity is not limited to financial generosity. But the challenge then is if true generosity isn't limited to financial generosity, what is true generosity? What does it look like? How would we define it and live it out? One of the writers in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul, describes it a little bit, and he describes it when he's writing to a group of churches in an area called Macedonia, and he He actually praises them for the way in which they're living out generosity. So I want you to turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and have a look over there. I'll be reading from the message translation. Just the last portion of that's going to come up on the screens when I get to it. Paul says, Now, friends, I want to report on the surprising and generous ways in which God is working in the churches in the province of Macedonia. Fierce troubles came down on the people of those churches, pushing them to their very limit. But that trial exposed their true colors. They were incredibly happy, though they were desperately poor. The pressure triggered something totally unexpected in their lives, an outpouring of true and generous and pure gifts. I was there, Paul says. I saw it for myself. They gave offerings, whatever they could, They pleaded for the privilege of helping out in the relief of others who were poor. This was totally spontaneous. It was of their own idea, and it caught us completely off guard. 
And here's the verse I want you to pay attention to. What explains it, Paul says, is that first they had given themselves unreservedly to God and to us. And the other giving that they did simply flowed out of the purposes of God working in their lives. Did you catch that? Money was the last thing that they gave. What was the first? The first was that they gave themselves. They gave themselves to God, and then they gave themselves in, uh, to other people out of a depth of care and relationship for them. And all of their other giving flowed out of those two actions. Really, that's beginning to stab at the definition of true generosity. Because true generosity is not about just giving money. It's about giving yourself. True generosity is not about giving your money. It's about giving yourself. When I think about this definition, a defining moment of generosity in the pages of Scripture that's so radical and so shaping and shocking comes to my mind from the life of Jesus. Turn with me to Mark chapter 14. And here we encounter a woman who understands true generosity because she does just this. She gives herself. I'll be reading from Mark chapter 14, verses 3 to 9 in the New Living Translation. You can follow along with me. Mark 14, 3 says, Meanwhile, Jesus was in Bethany at the home of Simon, a man who previously had leprosy. And while he was eating, a woman came in with a beautiful alabaster jar of expensive perfume made from essence of nard. She broke open the jar and she poured the perfume over his head. But some of those at the table were indignant. Why would you waste such expensive perfume, they asked. It could have been sold for a full year's wages and the money given to the poor. And so they scolded her harshly. But Jesus replied, leave her alone. Why criticize her for doing such a good thing to me? You will always have the poor among you, and you can help them whenever you want to, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body for burial ahead of time. And I tell you the truth, wherever the good news is preached throughout the world, this woman's deed will be remembered and discussed. I don't know if you got invited over to anybody's house over uh, the Christmas season or if you had people into your house for a dinner party, but this would be a dinner party that you would remember attending for quite some time. Jesus is in the city of Bethany where some of his friends uh, live. Uh, the story in the gospel is that uh, his friend Lazarus 
lives there. And Lazarus, uh, if you read through the gospel accounts, is the one that Jesus raised from the dead. And so already we have two quite exciting characters on the scene. We have Simon, who's been healed of leprosy, probably by Jesus. And then Lazarus, who has been raised from the dead by Jesus, attending this dinner party. And then we have uh, Mary and Martha, also living in Bethany. And it's interesting that in Mark's gospel, the woman who comes in and does this action at this dinner party is not named, but in John's gospel, uh, John names her as Mary. And so quite likely it is Mary of the Mary, Martha, uh, and Lazarus trio. And we read at the beginning of chapter 14 that already this is quite close to the end of Jesus' life. And so the Beth, city of Bethany is right close to Jerusalem, and the leaders in the city of Jerusalem are already plotting to kill Jesus. And so he's right close to his imminent demise and his death. And so there would be probably the atmosphere at this dinner party is charged with intrigue because people know that Lazarus has been raised from the dead. People know that the leaders are trying to get rid of Jesus because of jealousy. And so maybe over the meal, the conversation wanders between, should Jesus be this close to danger? Maybe we should get out of town for a little while and lie low. Maybe we should take a stand against the powers that be and see what happens. And suddenly in the midst of this conversation, quiet and contemplative Mary bursts forth with this impulse that's been growing in her heart. An alabaster cruise of precious imported perfume from the Himalayan mountains. It's so rare that it, uh, it's the root of a plant that's so rare, it represents an entire year's salary to buy the amount that she has. And Mary wonders if maybe this would be a way of expressing her gratitude to Jesus for all that he's done. And so forgetting the reserve that she normally has that we see in other stories, the intensity of her act, she breaks open the perfume jar. She doesn't just dab a little bit on Jesus. She busts it open and she pours it on his head. Now, anointing your guest when they came over to your house was fairly customary in the ancient world, but this was way over the top, both in terms of the cost and actually the amount. She uh, had about 12 ounces or so of this perfume, and so that's not a small amount to start dumping over somebody's head. It doesn't just sort of trickle down. This would soak you. And so it's not unobvious, or others around the room are not unaware of what has happened. She doesn't dab or spritz. She just goes full on in her commitment. She busts the jar open. I don't have any alabaster things that I could bring and break for dramatic impulse. Now jeans seem to be unbreakable. But there's, she's no, there's no going back for Mary. She didn't sort of save any of it for later. She busts the jar open, pours the full deal over Jesus' head. And this obviously is not typical dinner party behavior. And so it causes quite a stir at the table. People try to figure out how they should respond to what Mary has just done. 
But let's be fair to the guests at the table for a minute. I mean, if you were around the table, how would you have responded? Honestly, if I put myself around the table and think about it, I'm a bit of a pragmatist at heart. So my mind would have gone to the financial aspect of the scandal that I'm sure people may have begun to refer to as perfume gate. See, the practical side of me is just too strong. I would think to myself, that was way over the top. We could have pulled it way back and still been within acceptable social bounds. A full year's wages just got dumped out in front of me. Like, that's a lot of money. Really? And for what purpose? Like, what was the point of her doing that? Just so Jesus could smell nicer? Was there a way we could have done that for cheaper? Some of the people around the table clearly felt that way, and their private concerns spilled over into public discourse and criticism. What a waste, they said. Why didn't she sell the bottle? Give the money to the poor. And again, in Mark's version, it's interesting that the critic remains nameless, but in John's gospel, we actually find out who it is. It's Judas. And Judas is the spokesperson for this point of view, presumably because he's supposed to be in charge of the disciples' money. But we find out in John's gospel that Judas has actually been siphoning money out of the disciples' account for his own personal use and purposes. So I think to say that he was concerned for the poor is a little bit of an overstatement. But despite this, Judas puts into words what some people around the table are thinking. That's a lot of money that was just wasted. And so eyes pivot to Jesus. How's Jesus going to respond soaking wet now to this situation? I mean, the setup is couched in the most spiritual terms possible. How could you possibly argue with someone that wants to give a full year's wages to the poor? What's Jesus going to say to that? But Jesus engages in the conversation. Remember, it's not quite as much of an arbitrary situation as Option A, give tens of thousands of dollars to people who are poor. Option B, dump a small bottle of smelly stuff into someone's hair. Remember, we've already established that true generosity is not about giving your money. It's about giving yourself. And this is Mary's way of going about that. Because Mary understands the other thing about true generosity is that it's not about the monetary value of the gift. It's about the heart of the giver. And so that's where Jesus goes. It's not about the monetary value of the gift. It's about the heart of the giver. And so Jesus says, stop criticizing her. If we're going to talk about people helping those who are poor, you can do that anytime you feel like it. Jesus obviously doesn't mean that it's wrong to help people who are poor, but he is poking into the fact, however, that we have no indication that Judas ever did it or really felt like doing it. And so it's a bit of a smokescreen for his own lack of generosity. And also, it really wasn't Judas's bottle of perfume to start out with, and so it's not really his decision as to what to do with it. 
And that's the third aspect of generous living, which is profoundly good news, and that is that true generosity is not about comparison to what others give. It's about doing what I can or what you can with what you have or with what I have. See, the good news of true generosity is that God will never hold you accountable for managing someone else's resources. I love what Jesus says about Mary's gift. He says, she has done what she could. She has done what she could, when she could, with what she had. That's generosity. See, when we think of generosity, our minds often go to the spectacular examples of generosity. We think about philanthropy and people that give big sums of money. But here Jesus brings us back to the heart and says true generosity is about doing what you can with what you have been entrusted. It is not about comparing your gift to others' gifts. How much money someone else gives away in 2015 is not your concern. Your concern is how much money you give away in 2015. Your concern, how much time someone else spends volunteering in the community or Jericho Ridge in 2015 is not helpful. What is helpful is for you to think about how you're going to be generous with your time and gifts and abilities in 2015. What are you going to do with what you have, not what someone else is going to do with what they have? Because Mary did what she could do with what she had. She'd been entrusted with this. We don't know where she got this from. It could have been some kind of inheritance. could have been something that uh, she would have been storing up or saving up. But she decided in that moment that what she wanted to do was to break the bank on that and demonstrate her gratitude for what Jesus had done for her. Because true generosity is about faithfulness to that, not comparison to what others are doing. It's not about giving your money. It's about giving yourself. It's not about the value of the gift. It's about the heart of the giver. It's not a comparison to what others give. It's about doing what you can with what you have. And the crazy thing about this experience in Mark's gospel is that Jesus has been telling his disciples and been telling people right from almost the very start of Mark's gospel that his mission is to die, that he is going to die. And intriguingly, in Mark's gospel, not a single person takes him seriously, except for Mary. None of his disciples do. They don't understand what's going to happen. They say things like, let's not talk about that dying business again, Jesus. That seems a little bit macabre. Oh, Jesus, the religious leaders will never get to you. You're safe. We'll protect you. Don't worry about it. Don't let them get to you. You know, Jesus, stop talking so negative all the time about this death business. The crowds don't go for that kind of stuff. Think of how popular you are, how safe you are. Mary is actually the only one who actually hears what Jesus is saying and listens. She actually believes that what Jesus says is going to happen. And so her faith prompts her to do in advance what no one else has the courage and the guts to do. 
and what she will not have the opportunity to do in person to anoint Jesus' body for burial. Her love for God, her faith in Jesus, moves her to a place where she is willing to take a radical act that can be seen by others as reckless or wasteful, but for her is something beautiful and generous and lavish. I love the way that this is expressed in a poem by Herbert Lockyer. Selfishness seeks a gift, but love loves to give. Love gives itself away. Love loves to live. Love's great munificence counts not the cost. Feeling though not is left, nothing is lost. How's that for a million dollar word? Munificence. Your word for the month is in that poem. Munificence, if for those who want to define it, munificence is the quality or action of being lavishly generous. Great generosity is munificence. That's why whenever the good news is preached throughout the world, Mary's deed will be discussed and remembered because it was munificent. And because it's an act of faith, it foreshadowed the most munificent action ever undertaken in the history of our world, the moment when Jesus gave up his life for you and for me. Munificence is grand, and it doesn't count the cost because even though nothing is left, nothing has been lost. Mary's action pushes into my own thoughts and opinions of what generosity looks like and causes me to think about how do I respond to love's great munificence? Mary responded by saying, you know what? It's worth it for me to give away a year's salary and risk public opinion and shame to demonstrate my love for God. That's how she wanted to demonstrate her generosity. As we move into 2015, what are you and I willing to be generous with? How will we respond to love's great munificence? Are you willing to cheerfully share what you have with others? Am I willing to listen to and depend on God in every circumstance with a humble spirit of gratitude? Are you willing to let generosity touch other areas of your life that it may not have pushed into before? Friendships or service or time or gifts or material resources? Because the whole process of generosity, if we start with those things and the gift itself is backwards, we need to start with the heart of the giver. And so as we begin a new year, I think it's right and appropriate and healthy and very risky at the same time to say and ask ourselves, how do we respond with munificence in 2015? What would that look like? What would you be willing to actually do in 2015 that would be a demonstration of munificence? Maybe for you, you think to yourself, well, my response to God, I don't even know what that actually looks like. That's a new concept for me 
to wrestle with. When responding, when the scriptures talk about responding to the things that God has done for us, we talk about worship, we talk about response, we talk about giving all we have and all that we are to God. We sing songs like that all of the time. Maybe for you today, that's a brand new idea and thought. Maybe you've never actually taken that step. And maybe for you, that's a new notion and you want to say, you know what, today I actually want to explore that and surrender my life and my heart to God in a fresh way. Maybe you want to explore giving yourself to God in a full way and responding to great, God's great love for you by saying, I give you my heart, I give you my soul, I give you my mind, I give you my strength. Surrendering to God is a radical act of obedience. And you may not be ready to make that act today, but if you are, know that you'll actually begin to experience the munificence of God in an incredible way. That his grace and his forgiveness and healing will pour out into your life in a way that God would long to do for you. And so take advantage of that today. God gave himself fully for you and the only really appropriate response to the munificence that God gave us is to give yourself fully to him. Now, maybe you're here today and that kind of language is familiar language for you. You've followed God for a while, maybe for a long time. And maybe in 2014, you feel like you've wandered or you feel like even in 2015 already, you've screwed up again. Actions or circumstances have caused that relationship that you feel like you used to have with God to grow cool or distant. Maybe today's just a day for you to say, you know what, I just need a fresh start. I want to give myself to God in a fresh way today. I want to give parts of my life to God today that I've held back before. I want to ask God to come into my life in a fresh new way this year and to stir up hope and forgiveness and grace and strength for things that maybe I've lost hope for in 2015. Maybe you want to give yourself fully to God today in that way. I want to invite you to actually be bold about that today. Here at Jericho, one of the things that we've uh, talked a little bit about, and we spent some time yesterday with a great group of people kind of brainstorming about is, what does it look like to risk more? in 2015. Maybe for you that risk actually is in a setting like this, doing something that you've not done before. Maybe you think, I've never raised my hands in worship before. Try it. Just as a physical demonstration of saying to God, you know, I want to give you my all. I want to give myself fully to you. Maybe you want to get a little more bold than that and actually kneel where you are when the team leads us in response songs as a physical demonstration of submission and surrender to God. Maybe you want to come to the prayer team and you've been wrestling with it for months and said, I, don't, I think it would look foolish and silly or like I need something if I go and talk to those people and have them pray for me about something. Just get over it. <laughs> Take a risk. What's the worst thing that could possibly happen? 
Sometimes we let our public perception of what other people may or may not think of us if we raise our hands, kneel, or go for prayer keep us from doing the very thing that would be a demonstration of asking God to renew and refresh and restore us. So stop playing it so safe in 2015. Get over yourself. Yes, there's a time for being careful and calculated, but probably there's more times for being a little more reckless with generosity and a little more reckless with not caring so much about what other people think about you in 2015. Do something reckless for God in 2015 if you're going to make a resolution. And maybe you just start by something very simple, just getting over your fear of what other people think of you, coming for prayer, kneeling, or worshiping with a little more abandon and a little bit less caution. Mary's action was so radical that it forced everybody around that table to reckon with what she did. They had to come to terms with the reality of the generosity that was demonstrated right there in their midst. Maybe God's going to call you to do something radical and munificent in 2015. But don't start there. Don't start with a gift. Start with your heart as a giver. And today, start with saying, God, I want to take just a few more steps towards being open to that in my heart and in my life. Let's pray as Ron and the team come and lead us in response. Jesus, we're grateful for the incredible love that you have demonstrated for us and continue to demonstrate for us. Not just as a one-time event, but in continuous relationship with us. Father, we want to respond to that today. I want to respond to that today. I don't want to be a person who goes through today or who goes into this year with just taking your love for granted taking the radical nature of the generosity that you continue to pour out into my life for granted, I want to respond in some way. Father, I pray you would stir that up in each of our hearts as individuals. I pray you would stir it up in our heart as a community that we would want to increasingly take risks for you, risks of generosity, radical generosity, generosity that begins in our hearts and flows out into our world, into the relationships that we have. And so, Jesus, we want to, in this place today, invite you to equip us for that task by your Spirit, because we acknowledge that we cannot do it alone. We can demonstrate some generosity, maybe on our own, but we we can't get to munificent generosity without you. And so, Father, we start at the same place that that church in Macedonia started. We start at the same place that Mary started. We start with our own hearts. We start with offering them again to you, offering you our lives and saying, God, I want to choose to be a person who lives with increasing generosity towards you and towards the world around me in 2015. invite those who are leading prayer to go to the sides at this time Katie and myself will be over at one side Gary will be over at the other side I'm going to pray or kneel where you're 
at Raise Your Hands. Ron and the team will lead us in three songs of response. And the words to these songs are all designed to be very personal, to be a response from you to God about what you desire and want and how you want to take a posture of generosity in your life in 2015. So don't sing them if you don't mean them, but I invite you to participate either standing, sitting, kneeling, praying with others in this time. This is by desire